Ah yes, you're listening to Life 101, where we live in faith every day. This is Line Upon Line, where we study God's Word line by line. And I'm your host, Pastor Adrian. Isaiah in Isaiah 28 verses 9 and 10 says, Whom shall he teach knowledge? And whom shall he make to understand doctrine? And then he answers, Them that are weaned from the milk and drawn from the breasts. For precept must be upon precept, precept upon precept, line upon line, here a little and there a little. So if you're serious about your walk with God, and you want to understand true doctrine, it's time to get your Bible and follow along as we study God's Word. It's time to be weaned from the milk. Get your Bible, tell a friend, tell your pastor about this study, and let's get into God's Word, line upon line. open with a quick prayer and get right into Luke chapter 19. Heavenly Father, we come before you with joy in our hearts, Father, with gratitude. Uh, We're just so grateful to you, Lord, for your loving kindness toward us. We thank you, God, for your scripture, and we thank you that we can each week have the opportunity to look into it, to understand it more fully, and uh, to have our chats afterward where iron sharpens iron. Uh, Thank you so much, Father. We pray that this week will be no exception. We ask for more understanding. We certainly, Father, ask for more of your Holy Spirit, and we pray, God, for deeper faith. We ask all of this, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, let's get right into uh, Luke chapter 19. You'll recall that uh, last week, when we were in Luke 18, we encountered the rich young ruler, and uh, he was obeying all of the commandments, at least the ones that Christ shared with him since he was a youth. And then Christ said to him, you know, you're, you're lacking one thing. And he said, you know, sell all that you have, and, and, and give it to the poor, look after the poor, and then you'll have treasures from heaven, and, uh, and you'll be well looked after in this life and in the kingdom to come. And he went away sorrowful. And Christ remarked that it would, is, is so difficult for rich people to enter into the kingdom. And we know that the Pharisees were very, very wealthy. They were very covetous of riches, as, as uh, Luke uh, tells us in his narrative. So at the end of that, then Christ encountered a blind man and asked the blind man, what would you have me do for you? And the blind man asked that his sight be restored, and Christ immediately restored his sight. At the tail end of that miracle, then, we come into Luke chapter 19. So in 19 and verse 1, it says here that Jesus entered into Jericho. Uh, Jesus entered and passed through Jericho. He's on his way to Jerusalem. Now behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus, who was a chief tax collector. So he wasn't just a tax collector. He was a chief tax collector. So he had quite a rank, probably had a number of tax collectors under him. And as a result, he would be a very, very wealthy man. And he was rich. That's exactly what it says. He was very rich. And he sought to see Jesus, who Jesus was. So clearly, Jesus's reputation and fame and these miracles that he has been performing amongst the people of Israel have been spreading like wildfire. And Zacchaeus has heard about Jesus. And so he wants to see who he is. Who is this Jesus Christ? Uh, But he could not because of the crowd, um, because he was of short stature. So he was a a short man, and uh, the crowd is in front of him, and he just cannot see who Jesus is. Now, this rich tax collector, 
who no doubt would have heard of the teachings of Jesus and, and the miracles of Jesus, look how much he wanted to engage Jesus and see who Jesus was. He ran ahead. So the crowd is all there with Christ. He runs ahead and climbs up into a sycamore tree to see him. So he's moving with purpose. He really wants to know who is this man for he was going to pass by that way. So he uses his head, gets out ahead of the crowd, uh, exerts himself, gets up in the tree, and just he's now patient. He's waiting for Christ for, to come. And when Jesus finally came to the place, he looked up and saw him and said to him, Zacchaeus, make haste and come down, for today I must stay at your house. So he made haste and came down. He was very anxious to, to uh, receive Christ. And he received him joyfully. So here's this rich tax collector that's heard about Christ, that uh, exerts himself to be able to see who this man is. And then when Christ says, I want to stay with you, he receives him joyfully. In contrast to the Pharisees, who received him with design and trying to trap him. Uh, but when, when they saw it, that's the, the, the Pharisees now, they all complained, saying, He has gone to be a guest with a man who is a sinner. And no doubt, <clears throat> the, the, uh, the, the um, tax collectors were indeed sinners. Everybody understood that. They were thieves. Uh, basically, the way the Roman tax system worked was the Romans had a poll tax, and there's a certain amount of tax that they want uh, from each household. Uh, but they basically say to the people who collect the tax, get what you want, get what you can. And uh, you can keep whatever extra you collect, but make sure you give us this much per household. So a little bit of a risk for the tax collector as well, because if they cannot collect the taxes, then they have to take it out of their own pockets and make sure that they uh, pay the Roman officials what they're looking for. But if they can be very, uh, if they're good extortionists, and they can take more from people than what's actually due, then they're going to make a ridiculous amount of profit. And so they're going to be very brutal people. They're going to be very deceptive people. And uh, they're going to have a horrible reputation among the Jewish community. And so when Christ goes to eat with Zacchaeus, uh, they all complained, saying that he's gone to eat with a sinner. He's gone to be a guest with a man who is a sinner. And when Jesus saw... And I just want to go back to <laughs> chapter... Uh, 18, when we were talking about the rich young ruler, who had, Zacchaeus is wealthy, but Luke is now contrasting him with the rich young ruler that we saw last week, who couldn't give up his wealth. And, and when Jesus saw that he, he just couldn't give up his wealth, Jesus became very sorrowful. Uh, oh, sorry, when Jesus saw that he became very sorrowful because he couldn't give up his wealth, then he said how hard it is for those who have riches to enter the kingdom of God. And, and then he said, you know, with men, this is impossible, but with God, all things are possible. And we're going to see through Zacchaeus now that God is moving in Zacchaeus's heart. Uh, and, and he actually very clearly is heading to the kingdom of God, despite being extremely wealthy, even though Christ says it's very difficult for those with wealth to enter into the kingdom. And then in verse uh, 29, he said, assuredly, he reassures his disciples that there is no one who has given up their house or their parents or their family for the sake of the kingdom of God, who shall not receive many times more in this present time and in the age to come eternal life. So, so there's an arrangement that God wants to have with his disciples that he will look after us and he just wants us to be good stewards of whatever resources he gives us. And if in the process of obeying him, we have to give up uh, make, make sacrifices, he's saying to us, don't worry, basically I've got your back. And I think all of us who have been in the church for any period of time, we've experienced this. Continuing then in the story with, with uh, Zacchaeus now, whom Luke is contrasting to the rich young ruler that we saw last week. Then Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Lord, I give half of all my goods to the poor. So he had a lot of wealth, but when he was engaged by Christ and he accepted the good news of the kingdom of God, he was quite willing to part with his wealth. So a very wealthy man, he says, I'm going to take half and I'm going to give half of what I have 
to the poor. And remember last week we said, uh, you know, Christ never demands of us to be social justice warriors. That's the devil's agenda. That is not Christ's agenda. That's, that's a deception of the devil. Because Christ basically is saying, this kingdom or the kingdoms of this world are not my kingdoms. They're abusive. They're demonic. And the poor suffer as a result. So you as my disciples look after the poor. And in Deuteronomy, we saw repeated instructions to be charitable, to look after the poor. But there are no instructions in Deuteronomy to say, be a social justice warrior. And Christ never says to be a social justice warrior. And so uh, Zacchaeus now, in, in obeying the gospel, he's willing to take half of his, his wealth and, and be charitable and look after the poor. Now he says, And if I have taken anything from anyone by false accusation, which is highly likely because he was a chief tax collector, so he's got crooks underneath him, and so now there's going to be an investigation to see that, you know, crooks underneath him. He himself probably was engaged in extortion as well. But he's saying he's repented. And he's saying to Christ, if, if I have extorted any money from people unfairly, then this is the other half of his wealth, what he's going to do. I restore fourfold. So he gives half away, but he keeps half so that he can make good with all the people who may have suffered loss as a result of his role as a chief tax collector. And that restoring fourfold is right out of the Torah. So clearly a man that was familiar with the code in the Torah, because here in Exodus 22, it says, if a man steals an ox or a sheep and slaughters it or sells it, so he, he takes it wrongfully, he shall restore five oxen for an ox and four sheep for a sheep. So he understands you know, the magnitude of what he's done and he's going to obey the law. And so, you know, the rich young ruler, uh, he, you know, he says, you know, all these things I've obeyed since I was a child. But Christ says, you know what, you're, you're still missing something. Your heart isn't right. And here we can see the way Zacchaeus responds to the gospel. His heart is right. And then Christ says, and Jesus said to him, so in responding to uh, Zacchaeus, Zacchaeus's obedience to the gospel message, Jesus said to him, today, salvation has come to this house. So the Pharisees are looking and they see him as a sinner. They see Zacchaeus as a sinner. And they, I guess they see Christ as a sinner as well because he's, he's associating with Zacchaeus. They don't understand what's really going on. And what's really going on here is there are certain people that are hearing the gospel and they're responding to it. And Zacchaeus is one of them. And so Christ says to him, today salvation has come to this house. Why? Because he also is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. So he makes it very clear, and we, we've said this before, that Christ has come for Israel, specifically for Judah. That the relationship, the covenant relationship is with Judah, and his focus of his ministry is with Judah. Even when the uh, Samaritan uh, leper came back to say thank you, he referred to him as a stranger, as a foreigner. And did, you know, we're not ten cleansed, but you know, where are the nine? Only this foreigner has come back. Uh, so Christ was very focused on the covenant community. And we saw in, in Mark, I'm sure we've covered this before as well, that Jesus said to the Samaritan, uh, the I think it was the I forget how to say it now. It's a Syrian woman, a Phoenician, Phoenician-Syrian woman, um, that when she was asking for uh, a blessing for her daughter, for healing for her daughter, he refused. And he says, let the children be filled first, for it is not good to take the children's bread and throw it to the little dogs or to the dogs. So that's how Christ saw the Gentiles, as dogs, and his mission was not for the Gentiles, his mission was for Judah. And so here, um, Zacchaeus is one of those of Judah. And you saw how he knew the Torah, and he's one of the, the, the children of Judah. And so Christ says, absolutely, he's included in this salvation process. And then in Luke 15, we saw where Christ said, What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he loses one of them, 
does not leave the 99 in the wilderness and go after the one which is lost until he finds it. And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing. And then he went on to talk about the 10 coins. And then he went on to talk about the prodigal son. And it was all about finding the one that's lost and how valuable it is uh, to find that one that is lost and the joy that comes to the owner when he finds that which is lost. So Christ's mission is to go through Israel uh, seeking them that are lost. And he rejoices. Uh, and, and the angels in heaven and the Father rejoice when those that are lost repent. Gentiles are not lost. Gentiles are not included. Uh, this is all about the people of the covenant. Now, what he is saying in Luke 15, and I believe we covered this uh, when we covered Luke 15 about a month ago, was that he is fulfilling the prophecy in Ezekiel around the good shepherd. For the, Ezekiel 34, 11, For thus says the Lord God, Indeed, this is what the Lord God says. So this is God who has come to earth to seek that which is lost. Indeed, I myself, that is God, will search for my sheep, that is the covenant people, and seek them out. As a shepherd seeks out his flock on the day he is among his scattered sheep. And so Christ 2,000 years ago was among his scattered sheep and was seeking out his flock. So will I seek out my sheep and deliver them from all the places where they were scattered on a cloudy and dark day. And I will bring them out from the peoples and gather them from the countries. And this really has a dual um, fulfillment, but partially it's being fulfilled, or it was fulfilled 2,000 years ago, and we see that in Zacchaeus and the others that are repenting. And I will bring them to their own land. I will feed them on the mountains of Israel, in the valleys and in all the inhabited places of the country. I will feed them in good pasture, and their foes shall be on high mountains of Israel. There they shall lie down in a good fold and feed in rich pasture on the mountains of Israel. I will feed my flock, and I will I will make them lie down. So this, this flock is going to be in great danger, but God is reassuring us that he will feed his flock, and they'll lie down safely, says the Lord God. I will seek that was lost, I will seek what was lost, and bring back what was driven away, bind up the broken, and strengthen what was sick. Again, this is Isaiah 61 as well. But I will destroy the fat and the strong and feed them in judgment. So they, these uh, wicked people who are oppressing uh, God's people, they will be judged and God's people will be rescued. They'll be in a safe place and they'll be fed. And that's what the good shepherd does. And so Christ, uh, God, comes to earth twice. Once 2,000 years ago, and another time just ahead of us. And in both cases, he, you know, the first 2,000 years ago, he partially fulfills this prophecy, but just ahead of us now, he's going to fully fulfill it. And we'll see that later. Luke 19, verse 11, continuing. So as they heard these things, <clears throat> so they're now listening to what he's saying about Zacchaeus. And now as they heard these things, he spoke another parable. Why? Because now he's getting very close to Jerusalem. So he speaks another parable. So he says, that, you know, he says today salvation has come to uh, this household. And they're believing, okay, that, you know, this is very close now. He's just about to enter Jerusalem. And so he spoke another parable because he was near Jerusalem and because they thought the kingdom of God would, immediate, would appear immediately. And so this is, this is it. They, the, the, the gospel message that Christ brought was all about the kingdom of God. That was his entire focus, to tell them good news. I am the king, and I'm bringing the kingdom of God. In fact, it, it, the process has already begun. And so they were looking for a real kingdom. They were not looking for something that was in their heart. Uh, they were looking for a real, the establishment of a real kingdom with Jesus as their king. And so he had to speak this parable because they thought it was going to happen immediately. And in fact, we saw last week, he said, you know, when the Son of Man finally comes, will he find faith on the earth? <clears throat> and just by the nature of how the question is posed, the answer is no. Very little. That the vast majority are going to betray Christ. And so that's why we, that's why he taught his disciples and us by extension, <clears throat> how to pray. 
and how to constantly go to God and ask for more of the Holy Spirit. Excuse me. So in after all of this, when he uh, after his resurrection and he's educating the apostles, even then they're expecting the kingdom of God to appear immediately. And remember in Acts, when we studied Acts in chapter one, therefore, when they had come together, they asked him, saying, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And then he went on to say, it's not for them to know uh, the times, but uh, there to be witnesses of Christ uh, in, Judea, in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. So this, this, there's this constant expectation in the disciples, and even in us today, of the kingdom appearing immediately. We, we see the world conditions, they're crazy. The world is unraveling. And so we have this sense that as soon as the world unravels, Christ is going to return. But if we read the scriptures carefully, uh, no, Christ will return when Christ returns. And until then, we just have to be faithful. And so we have to read these scriptures carefully to understand what does it mean to be faithful. So that when he returns, if we are alive and remain, he indeed will find faith on the earth in us. So now he wants them to, uh, he wants to set their expectations properly. So we're going to Jerusalem. I, I, I've already told you last week we saw uh, that he told them what was going to happen to him. Uh, at the hands of the Gentiles. He's going to be delivered into the hands of the Gentiles and he's going to be crucified. He told them that. They didn't fully understand, um, but that's what's going to happen. And then they're going to expect that, okay, this is it. Uh, now, now the kingdom's going to be restored. But he wants to set their expectations. So he says this. Therefore he said, a certain nobleman went into a far country so he had to go far away. It's going to take time to get there, and it's going to take time to get back. To receive for himself a kingdom and to return. So there's some sort of coronation ceremony that needs to take place, perhaps. And then once he's received the kingdom, then he's going to return with it. So he called ten of his servants, delivered to them ten minas, and said to them, do business until I come. So, so this is clearly what we are responsible for doing in, in Christ's absence. We have to do business until he comes. What does that mean to do business until he comes? So he calls his 10 servants, delivers to them 10 minas, a certain amount of money, about, I think they say it's about a third of the year's wages, and said to them, do business till I come. But his citizens, so, there's, so there's, there are his servants, and then there's this other group of people, his actual citizens, his subjects, they hated him. They hated him. Uh, you know, these people are supposed to be his people, they're supposed to be his subjects, and we've seen the hatred of the Pharisees uh, toward him. And they're his citizens, but they hated him. And they sent a delegation after him saying, we will not have this man to reign over us. So they want to get rid of him. There, there's just, there's something so objectionable about Christ. And maybe it's really about losing, they, they see themselves as losing power and they don't want to lose their positions of power. So they hate this man. They don't want him to rule over them. And uh, they send a delegation after him. And so it was that when he finally returns, having received the kingdom, so now he's coming with the kingdom, he then commanded these servants to whom he had given the money, to be called to him that he might see how much every man had gained by trading. And again, there's this emphasis on the trading, that, we, that he wants to see how much every man has gained by trading. So he says here, I, and, and remember now, in fact, this, this should, just should uh, bring us back, uh, it should remind us, of the faith, the, the unfaithful, or the, the wise, clever steward. I remember in Luke 16, a couple of weeks ago, that the steward was called to account. And he realized he was going to get fired. And so he had to make provision for himself for the new reality. The, re the reality, as he has enjoyed it maybe for years, that's over. And there's a new reality that's going to kick in, 
and he, he can't, he doesn't want to beg, he's, he's too proud to beg, uh, he's got nowhere to go. So he makes provisions for the next chapter of his life. And so he says, I'm resolved what to do when I am put out of the stewardship, that they may receive me into their houses. And so he went around and spoke to all the people who owed his master money, and he made arrangements with them so that they would be indebted to him. So the master commended the unjust steward because he had dealt shrewdly. For the sons of this world are more shrewd in their generation than the sons of light. So, so God wants us to, to um, be wise. He, he wants us to be clever like this. He actually holds this man up um, as, a, as a clever example to us. And in fact, he goes further in, in uh, verse uh, 9 of 16, you'll remember. He says, I say to you, make friends for yourselves. This, this is the instruction. And this is what it means to, to, to do business, occupy, until I come. I say to you, make friends for yourself. Be like this, uh, this unjust steward, this clever steward, who is able to use his resources wisely to make provisions for the, the new reality that was coming. So I say to you, make friends for yourselves with unrighteous mammon, that when you fail, the same way the steward knew he was going to fail and, and a new chapter was going to open, in the same way we know we're going to die, this is all temporary. So when it all passes away, we need to be making friends of the people who are going to be inheriting the kingdom. Remember, he says to, to do good to the poor, to look after the poor, and he's going to take the poor and set them in high places. And he's going to take those who are in high places and bring them down. So you take your unrighteous mammon so that when you fail, when this is all over now, this temporary existence ends, that these people who are going to be in the kingdom in high places, that they will receive you into an everlasting home. So, so now continuing with this, uh, this parable, he says, he says to, um, <clears throat> he says to, or continuing the story to his disciples, 19, uh, Luke 19 and verse 16, then came the first, so he had 10 servants, he gave them all a certain amount of money, 10 minus, and now, the, now it's time for the reckoning. This is the performance evaluation. And Christ is telling us how we're going to be evaluated. So he, he comes to it, so that the citizens hate him, that's one thing, but now he's dealing with his servants. He said to him, uh, the first came saying, Master, your mina has earned 10 minas. So you gave me one, I've actually earned 10. So he wants to see how much every man has gained by trading. So this man traded up in such a way that he went from one mina to 10. And he said to him, well done, good servant. So you are my servant. Uh, you are my steward. Whatever resources you have, I gave them to you. And I'm expecting you to use my, my resources according to the instructions that I've given you. And so this is exactly what this man did. He, he made friends with the unrighteous mammon of those who are going to be inheriting the kingdom so that they can receive him into everlasting abodes. So he's basically saying, I've made, with, with this mina, I looked after 10 people. I guess you could say it that way. Ten, 10 of your people who are poor, I looked after them. Well done, good servant. Because you were faithful in a very little, and remember he talks about in chapter 16, you know, if you're unfaithful with a little, who will entrust to you the true riches? So, so, so he's looking for people who are faithful in a little so that he can give them a lot. Because you've been faithful in a very little, and again, we'd have to look to Luke 16 to see what that means. You can now have authority over 10 cities. And the second came saying, Master, your mina has earned five minas. Likewise, he said to him, you also be over five cities. So he's really, really pleased with these, these men. These servants have carried out his instructions. And so he's very pleased with them. And because he could trust them with the temporary riches, he knows he can trust them with true wealth. And so the 10 cities and the five cities, this is true wealth. And he knows he can trust these people. Then another came saying, Master, here is your mina. So you gave me a mina, here it is. Which I have kept 
put away in a handkerchief. Why did he do this? For I, I feared you, because you are an austere man. So he's kind of like the citizens who don't want this man to rule over them. He sees him as a, a very um, harsh man. You collect what you did not deposit and reap what you did not sow. So he's looking at the others and saying, you know, you gave him one mina and now he's giving you back 10. Well, you didn't deposit 10 minas and you didn't deposit five minas. You deposited one and you're getting back 10, you're getting back five. So I know what you're like. And now, what he's actually really accusing Christ of, if you look in Deuteronomy, it says, you shall not charge interest to your brother. Interest on money or food or anything that is lent out at interest. So he's basically saying you are an evil master because you're actually charging interest to your brothers. Now, Christ says, fine, this is your performance evaluation. If that's how you see me, fine. Let's go with that. So he says now in verse 22, and he said to him, Out of your own mouth will I judge you. Out of your own mouth will I judge you. You wicked servant. You're a servant. Your job is to do what I tell you. Now, you see me as uh, having expectations of, of a things that I don't deposit, I want back. Great, let's go with that. Out of your own mouth I will judge you, you wicked servant. You knew that I was an austere man, collecting what I didn't deposit and reaping what I did not. So you knew that, and you know I'm coming back. Why then did you not put my money in the bank that at my coming I might have collected it with interest? You, sh you know what my expectations are. You should have done something so that I can have an increase. And he said to those who stood by, take the mina from him and give it to him who has Ten minas. And remember in Luke 16, he says, Therefore, if you've not been faithful in the unrighteous mammon, who will commit to you, to your trust, the true riches? And so this man, this third servant, was unfaithful with unrighteous mammon. He was hoarding it. He was keeping it to himself. He was coveting it. He didn't really care about the people around him. And so if he cannot be trusted to care about the people around him with the little bit of wealth, temporary wealth that he has now, how can he be trusted with the real wealth in the kingdom? And this really, uh, so they said here in verse um, 25, but they said to him, Master, he already has 10 minus. And then Christ says, For I say to you that to everyone who has will be given. And from him who does not have, even what he has will be taken away from him. So what we need to understand here is that Christ is establishing a very different kingdom. It is totally different than all the kingdoms that have ruled over this earth and ruled over human beings. God himself has come down to earth to establish a very different kingdom in a very different way with very different people. And you'll remember now in, or we haven't covered it yet, but we've seen it in Matthew and we'll certainly get here in a couple of weeks or in a few weeks. Um, in Luke 22, he says to them, the kings of the Gentiles. So all of these other uh, empires exercise lordship over their subjects. And those who exercise authority over them are called benefactors. It's crazy. They're actually oppressors, but they get away with this politicking and, and positioning themselves as benefactors when actually they're the opposite. And so he's saying it's not, it should not be so among you. On the contrary, this kingdom that Christ is establishing is the exact opposite. He who is greatest among you, let him be as the younger, and he who governs as him who serves. So what we see here is that it's a totally different kingdom. It's totally different. And so Christ is giving us whatever temporary resources we have now so that he can evaluate us. Are we faithful? You know, do you and I, do we tithe faithfully? Do you and I, do we bring offerings before God on the high days faithfully? Do we have a heart for the poor? Do we look after those who are in need? 
this is what God is looking for. He's not looking for people who are, you know, marching and parading up and down and drinking and getting drunk with the drunken and beating up their fellow man. That's not what he's looking for. He's looking for those who are obedient to Deuteronomy. They're obedient to the Torah and they have a heart of charity. So that when God sees that we have this heart for the poor, we have this heart for the, the, those who are, who are oppressed uh, by, by this uh, society. We're not trying to revise society. This is the devil's world. But we are trying to look after those who suffer. And so we have a heart of charity. This is, th these are the people that he's going to be building his kingdom with. And so that's why, that's why we need the Holy Spirit, because this is totally different. It is foreign to human beings. It is from God. So continuing then in Luke 19, verse 27, then he says, bring here those enemies of mine. So now the kingdom is, is being established. Now Christ has returned. He says, bring here those enemies of mine who did not want me to reign over them and slay them before me. Wow. This is serious. The, I like to say the question in the end time is Christ. What's your answer? The whole world, the question is Christ. What's your answer? And I certainly hope it's, yes, Lord, I submit. Because he's coming to establish this kingdom and his enemies are going to be slain before him. Now, people will criticize and say, Jesus is violent. Look, he says he's going to kill these people. He actually says, slay them before me. And that's what's going to happen to these, these people of the covenant who are his citizens, who don't want him to reign over them. They're going to be slain in front of him. He, he, he's not slaying them. They're going, to, they're going to be brought in front of him and they're going to be slain in front of him. And notice, in, remember in Luke uh, 13, where he said, Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, uh, you, the one who kills the prophets. And so there was this whole... Um, desire that Christ had. Remember he said that he was like a, a hen that wanted to gather her chicks to save them from danger so that they would not be exposed to the danger. Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the one who kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to her. These are, these are the people who don't want him to reign over them. How often I wanted to gather your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings, but you were not willing. You didn't want me to reign over you. Now what? See, your house is left to you desolate, and assuredly I say to you, you shall not see me until the time comes when you say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And also you'll remember in Luke um, uh, chapter 1, right at the beginning, as we began this study of Luke, the very first chapter, um, the prophecy from Mary is that we should be saved from our enemies. And from the hand of all who hate us. This is, this is God's will. He's coming for the covenant people to save them from their enemies. And in uh, continuing now in chapter 19, when he had said this, he went on ahead going up to Jerusalem. So he is determined. He is going to accomplish everything that's said about him in the scriptures in Jerusalem. And he knows what's going to happen to him as a prophet of God, as, as God in the flesh in Jerusalem as the forces of evil are culminating and this climax of evil is going to take place. So he's, when he had said this, he went on ahead going up to Jerusalem. And so this is, that's it. So this is, now we understand how we're going to be evaluated and we understand what's going to happen to those people who do not want him to reign over them. And now he's heading to Jerusalem. And it came to pass when he drew near to Beth and Bethany. So these are right, they're basically suburbs of Jerusalem. He's right there now at the mountain called Olivet that he sent two of his disciples saying, go into the village opposite. So, so go into the village opposite you, where as you enter, you will find a colt tied or a donkey that's going to be tied there on which no one has ever sat. So this is a fairly young donkey. No one has ever sat on it yet. And Christ, being God in the flesh, knows exactly where this, this colt is, this donkey is, tells them to go and go and loose it and bring it here. 
And if anyone asks you, why are you loosing it? Then say this to him, because the Lord has need of it. And that seems to be something that they will then understand and they will be happy to uh, release, allow the release of the, the donkey. So when those who were sent their way and found it just as he had said to them, so they told him exactly, or he told them exactly where he, they would find it, and they found it exactly there. Um, but as they were loosing the colt, the owners of it said to them, why are you loosing the colt? And they said, the Lord has need of him. Then they brought him to Jesus and they threw their own clothes on the colt, and they set Jesus on him. And as he went, many spread their clothes on the road. So they realized that something special was happening here. He's on his way into Jerusalem. He's now sitting on this donkey. They are spreading their own clothes in the way, on the road. Then, as he was now drawing near the descent of the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works they had seen. So Jesus has been doing all these works on his way to Jerusalem, and now he's about to enter Jerusalem, and they begin saying, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. So they understood exactly who Jesus was. They understood exactly who he was as as his disciples had been taught by him. And they're quoting here Zechariah 9, verse 9, that says, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. Your king is coming to you. He is just. And having salvation, lowly and riding on a donkey. A colt, the foal of a donkey. So a very young donkey here that's never been ridden before. This is how your king, O daughter of Zion, is going to appear. And so they understood exactly what was happening. And in Psalm 118, it says, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. We have blessed you from the house of the Lord. And so here is Christ coming now into Jerusalem in the name of the Lord. And they understand this is their king and they are rejoicing. Continuing in verse uh, 39 of chapter 19. And some of the Pharisees then. Some of the Pharisees, when they when they saw what was going on, these people are worshiping Jesus as God. They're saying this is this is God who's come to save us. Uh, when they when the Pharisees saw this and they hear they hear them quoting uh, Zechariah nine, they called him from the crowd, and they said, "Rabbi, rebuke your disciples. This is crazy talk. This is blasphemy. You need to you need to stop this as a rabbi." But he answered and said to them, "I tell you." That if these disciples should keep silent about what is about to happen here and what I'm doing, the stones would immediately cry out. It was that important that Christ now be announced. And remember earlier, we saw where he asked his disciples, um, you know, who do you say that I am? And, and, and Peter said, you, you, you're, you're the Christ. You're the son of the living God. And then he swore them to secrecy. He said, see that you you tell no man. Because he was on a mission and he could not afford for this mission to be outed. Now he's heading into Jerusalem. And now he's saying, you know, even if these disciples kept quiet, uh, the stones themselves would cry out. So he says now, in verse 41, Now as he drew near, he saw the city. Now he sees Jerusalem. Jerusalem now comes into view. And he's about to enter Jerusalem. And he wept over it. He cried. These people have no idea 
Christ is the visionary. Christ knows what's going to happen. Christ sees the future. He's been doing all he can to gather them. But his citizens hated him. And they did not want him. So his citizens are right there in Jerusalem. And they hate him. They don't want him. You know, before he gets to Jerusalem, you got all these disciples, even Zacchaeus, the tax collector, happy to respond to him, love him. Problem is with those in power, those in the, the Pharisees. And the problem really now is those who are right in Jerusalem. And so now he's about to enter Jerusalem. And he weeps, saying, If you had known, even you, especially in this your day, the things that make for your peace. So they, in other words, they have no idea. Christ, Christ just, he wishes that they would understand what Jerusalem means to God, what the people of Jerusalem mean to God, the city of peace, Jerusalem, and that they, that they could have peace if they, if they only knew, but they don't. So he's weeping and he says, if only you had known, even you, especially in this your day, this is your day the things that make for your peace. But now they are hidden from your eyes. For days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment around you, surround you, and close you in on every side. Wow. Wow. That's where he says, you know, those people who, who um, those citizens who hated me and would not have me reign over them, uh, bring them and, 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 and slay them before me. This is the slaying that's going to happen. And, and God is going to witness it. Because this is their choice. They, cho they did not want Christ. This is, this is what they want. And so now this is what they're going to get. They want the kingdoms of this world. Uh, the kingdoms of this world eat their own. There's no loyalty. There's just ruthlessness. And so we had a foretaste of this in 70 A.D., when, when Rome came in and just slaughtered Jerusalem. But that was just a foretaste. This prophecy is still outstanding. It is yet to be fulfilled. And it says here that the days will come upon you when your enemies, people who hate you, will build an embankment around you, surround you, and close you in on every side. In chapter 21, we'll get there in a couple of weeks, it says... But when you see Jerusalem, this is an eschatological prophecy now, this is the end time. When you see Jerusalem surrounded by armies, then know that its desolation is near. Now, we need to ask ourselves, what kind of armies would surround Jerusalem that, that have a, a homicidal hatred for Jerusalem? Well, let's look at the map. We see Israel in the middle. And hmm, let's see, all those nations in green that surround Israel, and specifically Jerusalem, all of them are Muslim neighbors, every single one of them. So where are these armies that are going to surround Jerusalem where, with, with homicidal hatred? Where are they coming from? What kind of armies are they going to be? And, and what is fueling this homicidal hatred? Well, they have their prophecies that tell them what they must do to bring about the end time. يقول النبي صلى الله عليه وسلم لا تقوم الساعة حتى يقاتل حتى يقاتل المسلمون اليهود فيقتلهم المسلمون المسلمون يقتلون اليهود أبشروا أبشروا بنصر الله يقتل المسلمون اليهود فيختبئ يقول النبي صلى الله عليه وسلم فيختبئ اليهود خلف الحجر والشجر فيقول الحجر والشجر يا عبد الله يا مسلم هذا يهودي خلفي تعالى فاقتل لماذا هذه العداوة لأن اليهود لم يجعلوا لهم محبا على هذه الأرض لا بشر ولا حجر ولا شجر كل شيء معاديهم ها هم يدمرون كل شيء يدمرون الأشجار يدمرون البيوت فكل شيء يريد أن ينتقم من اليهود من هؤلاء الخنازير على هذه الأرض وسيأتي هذا اليوم الذي ننتصر فيه بإذن الله تعالى Every week, all over the world, every Friday this, this homicidal hatred of Jews is fed into uh, the followers of Islam 
And so what we see now is basically people who are told specifically what to do. Every aspect of their lives is governed by their scriptures. They're, they have no freedom. They are absolute slaves to Allah. And they will do whatever their scriptures tell them. So what we see here is people who are all under government. And when they come up, this is an army. This is an army. And they will do exactly what they're told. And for them to have uh, the paradise and, and the, the, the quote-unquote joy in heaven that they need, they need to slaughter the Jews. And that hatred is coming right out of their scriptures. The Quran says, Indeed, those who disbelieved among the people of the scripture, so the, the people who had the Bible, who had the Torah, but they didn't accept Muhammad and the polytheists, will be in the fire of hell, abiding eternally therein, these are the worst of creatures. So, so of all of Allah's creation, anybody who does not accept Muhammad, well, we are the worst of creatures if we do not accept Muhammad. And indeed, the next verse says, those who have believed in Muhammad and done righteous deeds, that is whatever the Quran and the Hadith, the Sunnah tell them to do, these are the best of creatures. This ideology is bad news. This, this is horrible ideology. The minute you can dehumanize somebody, well, we saw how that happened, how that worked out in Nazi Germany, when the Jews were dehumanized and they were referred to as vermin. Well, vermin is a step up from how the Quran tells its followers to see Jews. And so you can, you can uh, enforce any type of violation on people who are not human beings. And you're told you're the best of creatures and they are the worst of creatures. And, and Jerusalem is surrounded. Let's, let's just take a look at that map again. Jerusalem is surrounded by people who have this homicidal hatred for them, that they did not accept Muhammad, so therefore they are the worst of creatures. And you know, we're seeing just an inkling of, of what this kind of hatred means. If you look at this article here, this is from, from last week, ISIS, who follow the Quran and the Sunnah uh, by the jot and the tittle, they, they quote scripture before they do anything, ISIS forces enslaved mother to eat her own child. This is the kind of homicidal hatred that we're talking about. Well, a report claims that the Islamic State served a mother the remains of her one-year-old son without her knowledge. So she was a sex slave. They kept raping her until she got pregnant, and then they cooked her son and fed it to her. One of the women, whom we managed to retrieve from ISIS, said that she was held in a cellar for three days without food or water. Iraqi MP Vian Dakhil told an Egyptian TV station, according to the report. Afterwards, so she's been without food or water for three days. Afterwards, they brought her a plate of rice and meat. She ate the food because she was very hungry. When she was finished, they said to her, we cooked your one-year-old son and we took that that we took from you. And this is what you just ate. This is, this is, this is what happens or this is what you can do when people are not, when they're dehumanized when they're, they're the worst of creatures. In fact, in the, in the same camp, they took a 10-year-old girl and they raped her to death in front of her father and her sisters. They raped a 10-year-old girl to death. Th this is the homicidal hatred that comes out of these scriptures. And these are the people that are surrounding Israel and just they're, they're just foaming at the mouth with hatred to go in and destroy them. And this is what Christ was warning Israel about, was warning Judah about. He says, let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let those who are in the middle of her get out and let not those who are in the country enter her because they're coming for Jerusalem. They have to reclaim Jerusalem. For these are the days of vengeance. This is, their, this is payback time, that all things which are written may be fulfilled. There are many prophecies about this, but woe to those who are pregnant and to those who are nursing babies in those days, because the people who are coming do not see you as human beings. You are not seen as human beings. 
For there will be great distress in the land, and there will be great wrath upon this people. There is a homicidal hatred for these people, which comes from the devil. And they will fall by the edge of the sword. Hmm, somebody coming with sword to behead. And be led away captive. Somebody who believes in slavery. An ideology that believes in slavery. And they'll be led away captive into all nations. And Jerusalem will be trampled by Gentiles. So these are Gentile people. These are not uh, from the covenant people. Until the times of the Gentiles are fulfilled. So the, the, the kingdoms of this world have to come to their full power their full extent of evil. And then that's when Christ will return and replace the evil kingdoms with the kingdom of God. Now continuing in chapter 19, he says, For days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment around you. They're going to surround you and close you in on every side. So you have enemies that absolutely hate you with a homicidal hatred, and they are going to close you in on every side. So let's again be very clear what Jerusalem looks like and, and how she is surrounded. And, and these, are, these are enemies of Jerusalem. These are people who have homicidal hatred for Jerusalem. And, and because you are seen as less than human, you are dehumanized, they are going to level you and your children within you. There's going to be no mercy. Nobody's going to look and say, well, this is a poor child. This is a 10-year-old girl. They don't care. They're going to level you and your children within you. You didn't want Christ to reign over you. You don't want Christ. Okay, well, you have, this is now what you have. You're left to yourself. They're going to level you and your children with you to the ground. And they will not leave in you one stone upon another. It's going to be thorough. That's where we, we, you heard the prophecy that even a tree or a stone... Uh, if a Jew tries to hide behind them, is going to say, Ya Muslim, there is a Jew behind me. Come and kill him. <clears throat> because you did not know the time of your visitation. So there Christ was in the midst of them, and they didn't know. And so I should mention as well that this hatred is not reserved just for the Jew. It's Jews and Christians. It's the people of the scripture. And, and people don't understand that Christianity really was just seen as a sect of Judaism. It's, it's this whole Sunday keeping uh, Greek, Roman, Greco Christianity does not come from Jesus Christ's teachings. And so this week's free offer, if you go to CGI.org, right there on the homepage, you'll see a reprint article, Did the Apostolic Church observe the sabbath and holy day so everybody knows okay yeah the church uh the the jews keep the sabbath the jews keep these holy days uh yom kippur and rosh hashanah but did the early church observe these days go to cgi.org and uh, ask for this reprint article i think you'll find it quite enlightening if you're not aware if you think that christians have always observed sunday uh, ask for this reprint article there's also a cd by uh, Pastor Wes White, that how to keep the Sabbath. And that's something that Christians do today. And this hatred that Satan has for the Jewish people, he has the same hatred for the church because he just hates the covenant community. He hates the covenant community. And if anybody's kind of caught up with this ideology of hatred, uh, they've got it like, would the Creator? want you to destroy his creation? What kind of God takes joy in destroying children and feeding a child to its mother? What kind of God? And they, they, they say their prayers and they do their rituals and they quote their scriptures before engaging in any of these acts. What kind of God? I mean, come on, let's just snap out of this and come to Jesus Christ the true God who has come to earth to redeem mankind through Israel, but to redeem all mankind. And we're going to see that here as we just wrap up. So it says here in verse 45, Then he went into the temple, and he began to drive out those who bought and sold in it. <clears throat> so there were people in the temple buying and selling and transacting. This is what they were doing in the temple. And so he drove them out, saying to them, It is written... My house 
is a house of prayer, but you have made it a den of thieves. Now he was quoting Isaiah 56 and verse 7. He says, Even them I will bring to my holy mountain and make them joyful in my house of prayer. Their burnt offerings and their sacrifices will be accepted on my altar, for my house shall be called a house of prayer for all nations. All nations, all those Muslim nations that you saw surrounding Jerusalem, God wants them to repent and to come to this house of prayer during the true holy days because his house will be a house of prayer for all nations. Now notice in verse 45 that when Luke quotes it, he drops off, he truncates the verse and he doesn't quote for all nations. He just says, it is written, my house is a house of prayer. And even Mark, when Mark quotes Christ, he taught, and then he taught, saying to them, verse 17 of Mark 11, Is it not written, my house shall be called a house of prayer for all nations? But you have made it a den of thieves. So Luke now, in his narration to Theophilus, he says, Inasmuch as many have taken in hand to set in order a narrative of those things which have been fulfilled among us, just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word delivered them to us, it seemed good to me also, having had perfect understanding of all things from the very beginning, to write to you an orderly account, most excellent Theophilus. So uh, Luke here is writing an orderly account, and he doesn't like things mixed up. He wants Theophilus to get this in order. And so that whole part about uh, a house of prayer for all nations, yeah, that'll come later. Let's just focus right now on the, the narrative of Israel. He wants Theophilus to be very clear, Christ has come for those that are lost, for the covenant people. So, so Christ's ministry is restricted to Judah. We'll get to all nations later. And in fact, in his second volume, he does that when in Acts 10, he shows that Peter opened his mouth and said, in truth, I perceive that God shows no partiality, but in every nation, whoever fears him and works righteousness is accepted by him. And But, but uh, unfortunately, the uh, Jews were just very self-satisfied. And we see the attitude in the Pharisees as they interact with Christ. And this began way back at the time of Jeremiah, when Jeremiah had to warn them, saying, you trust in lying words, saying, the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord are these. And so they were very self-satisfied, being the special people, not realizing that all the time, they are being set up as the priestly nation to serve all mankind. And that God's house shall be a house of prayer for all nations. But, but Luke wants this done in an orderly account. And so he wants us to first understand the narrative around Israel. And then once we've got that, then how it then expands out and Israel is used for the all, all nations. But even before that, Gentiles are being grafted into Israel. So there's only one relationship that God has with man. And it is through Israel. And Gentiles are being grafted to become a part of Israel. We saw that, or we see that in Romans 9. You'll actually see that when Pastor Bill Watson gets to Romans 9 and 11, uh, as he's going through the series in Romans. Very important chapters. And then we, as Israel, become the kings and priests. If we, have, if we succeed in our performance evaluation, if we, if we have a successful evaluation, and we are faithful, and then, then salvation is opened up to all mankind. And we'll get into that uh, when we get into the book of Revelation, which I believe we'll, we'll be covering next. Uh, the final verse of chapter 19, uh, he was teaching daily in the temple. He was teaching daily. So first he had to get these money changers out because this is a house of prayer. And then he was teaching daily in the temple. But the chief priests, the scribes, and the leaders of the people, they sought to destroy him. Isn't this something? We began with a chief tax collector repenting and anxious and obedient to Christ. And the chief priests, scribes, and leaders, they want to destroy Christ. Wow. What a world we live in. What a deceptive devil that is in this world. But they were unable to do anything for all the people were very attentive to hear him. The same way you saw Zacchaeus 
Uh, all the people were like this. The problem was with the leaders. And they didn't like their power being stripped from them. They want to compete. Imagine that. They want to compete with God. They want to compete with Christ. Wow. Wow. If only they could see what was going to befall them. And they had a foretaste of it in 70 AD. Something far worse is coming. But in the end, it's all good news because the Gentile kingdoms have to come to the full. The, 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 the evil of this world has to come to the full. And then Christ will crush it. In, in a way that, and with people, that it's a stone cut without hands. It's totally opposite to anything this world has ever seen. Let's be faithful. And the evaluation really is around how we handle the resources that he gives us. Will we be faithful stewards? The, the gift is a, a free gift. The gift of salvation is free. But we are evaluated in terms of how we perform with what he gives us. Let's, let's say, Master, your mina has earned ten minas so that he can say, well done, good and faithful servant. That's it for Luke 19. Next week we'll get into Luke chapter 20. Jesus Christ is King. He's Lord. He's Savior. He's merciful, but he does have expectations. Jesus is Lord. God bless.